Hello, everybody. Hello. And welcome to another episode of Dear Bear Book Club. Yay. It's Nikki. And I'm Kirsty. This is a podcast where we read books and tell you about them. Yep. Also, I th- I'm just going to jump right in this week because I have a lot to talk about. Go right ahead. Um, remember last week when I, when we were like, do we have any book news? I forgot about all the book news. Well, I, okay. I, I don't know. Actually, I think most of it might have come up since we last recorded. But here's what I got. <laughs> so Carly Fortune, who wrote Every Summer After, yep. is releasing another book in May. Nice. Um, fuck, I should have looked it up what it's called. Hang on. I'll look it up while you keep talking. Well, that's all it really is. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah, Meet Me at the Lake. She has oh, all, okay. all of them are like very lake themed books, it seems like. Nice. Oh, but there's also a full description. So on her Instagram, if you follow her on Instagram, she gives like a full description of the book. Sounds cool. quite similar to the first one, but I'm excited nonetheless. Yay. Okay, so I don't know if you you follow um, Taylor Jenkins Reid on Instagram. I think I do. Okay. Did you see that day that she had that other author posting on her Instagram? No. Probably not. Okay. Have you heard of Julia Whalen? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of Julia Whalen. What? <laughs> Julia Whalen is who I fangirled the other week because she also reads audiobooks. Yes! Yeah. Yeah. And she was Okay. Reading, Have we talked yeah. about her? I've I'm pretty sure I've mentioned her because she was like she's the one who I was like the cowboy drawl. Not like cowboy, the like Texan drawl. I was like heart throbbing after. What book that was then yeah, maybe in another life? Oh yeah, because she's yeah. read a lot so of So she reads a lot of audiobooks, but she's also yeah. released um like My Year in Oxford, but she's coming out with a new one. Yes. So yeah. she reads a lot of Taylor Jenkins Reid's book too, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because um, maybe in another life is Taylor Jenkins Reid. Um, but I think well, she's read some other ones of hers too. She might have, I'm going to look her up because she's read a lot of, but she she's also in the new um, Carrie Soto book too. Because I oh, was she... looking it up on um, Audible the other day. Yeah. And she, um, she was listed as one of the people. So there's going to be multiple people. Mm. on that book for the audiobook well i know they also did a really cool thing where they have like sports casters come in and i don't know obviously i haven't read the book yet but they come in and they like describe a part of the book as if it was like a game okay so that'll be cool i don't i can't they're famous but i don't know i don't listen to any or i don't watch tennis so i don't know i don't know who they are but they're like famous so actually if you just type in julia whalen and Audible is one of the first things that comes up. So if you can see the results for Julia Whelan narrated books, she's done Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, Gone Girl. Um, I've never heard hmm. of that book. Book Lovers by Gone Emily Girl. Henry. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm sorry. Go yeah. back. You've yeah. never heard of Gone Girl? No, there's another book in between. Oh, there. okay, okay, okay. Phew. Book Lovers by Emily Henry. Part of Your World by Abby Jimenez. Oh, thank you for listening. Is Julia Whalen's new book? Okay, yes, that's what I wanted to talk about. And then, so I, I want you to read still, it for like, me. So more. She's done Jojo Moyes, The Giver of Stars. She did has done Emily Henry's other two books, Beach Read and The People We Meet in Vacation. So yeah, she's done a lot. And that's actually one. That's twenty of like three hundred and seventy-seven results. So she might have done way more than that. 
there's like pages wow. that's just like the first page so i love her reading um i was a little unsure one of the emily henry books but i honestly think it was just the the characters in the book that i just didn't really relate to because mm-hmm. then when i heard her give that like henry in maybe another life's voice yeah love that <laughs> okay yeah so like i so this thank you for listening i want you to read it okay because i well i kind of want to read it too but i feel like it's so up your alley because i'm pretty sure it it's literally about audiobook narrators ah but she was also an actor like she used yeah. to act on like tv shows and stuff yeah she's got an um, anyway imdb page yeah she was like a child actor apparently and so is the like character in her book Ah. in this book so anyway i just thought it would be right up your alley and then if you read it you can tell me if it's good and if it's worth me reading it i'm sure it is good it sounds like she has a lot of experience yeah cool i'll give this a go since you like audiobooks so much yeah i wonder if the audiobook is like better listening to the audiobook would be better i wonder if she reads the audiobook she does she's got it right yeah she does it was on the list um Okay, so there's that. And so this isn't book news, but me and Evan have been really into watching documentaries lately. Mm-hmm. I don't really know where this came from, but we watched that one on Netflix about Jimmy Savile, oh, which is fucked. It's horrible. I watched that on my own. Yeah. Probably not the best <laughs> idea. And we watched, I, I think we told you guys about it, but you should watch it if you feel like you can have the space in your life. It's fucked up, too. It's, like, so fucked up. It's, what was it called? It was called Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey or something like that. Oh, I just stopped watching that. Oh, did you try? I tried it, and I got quite far, but then I was just like, yeah, I, I couldn't keep going it's with it. So... so I thought you were about to say um, Woodstock 99, because I oh! did watch that, too. Um, I forgot about that one. Yeah, that was that so one. good. Um, that what was did you think? fucked. Like, yeah, so fucked. And the, the worst, worst part like, was sorry they were like blatant like women were like yeah like yes move forward with all of these reports and i felt like it was so dismissed but even towards the end of the documentary it was kind of like shoved in there and didn't really get like that should have been way more highlighted but i honestly think that people just weren't aware of what was well yeah and it was and the fact that like um fatboy slim when he was doing his performance in that um like rave oh thing yeah. and he was yeah they had to take him off because they were like yeah it's not safe for you to be it's here not anymore. Safe. you need to leave um and that when that truck and stuff came in um and the girl was found oh. inside the truck all oh. of that is just so messed up and like they obviously told him that and he was like i wasn't aware of any of that and i really well, felt for him in that moment because he you're oh, when you're yeah. a performer like yeah. that you're almost just like take taken and placed into like where you're performing and then you're taken out of that again and even just like the whole situation of that i was like he could have like very troubling like ptsd from that for like the fact that his life was pretty much in danger when they started throwing stuff at them um but yeah. not only that like oh it was just so horrible and the fact that like the people who organized it just like firmly denied that any of that shit happened with like sexual assault it's like fuck off yeah that's what i'm like that's what shocked me the most honestly was that like well yeah like you said like they just put like they well and the area where the like performers were like they were getting free stuff and like 
everything was fine there and they didn't see what was going on on the other side of the fence basically yeah and then when they were driving up the money um so like vendors were making obscene amounts but then the vendor village got raided by people Mm -hmm. so like well and they didn't let them bring in their own water yeah well i mean it's i don't know i can understand that to an extent because i've been to um i'm into many festivals but like when i was a teenager i went to like a local festival and i'm pretty sure like you could take in certain things into like the campground but you couldn't take it into like the ground of the like Mm. festival itself uh, which was Mm. fair because like they weren't searching like i was there with like friends of mine and her their parents had like um like a camping trailer situation and so they obviously had food and stuff there so we weren't buying stuff all the time we were like getting fed separately but like so like obviously people were bringing in alcohol and drinking in their tents and things but and i think in in all honesty there's no way you can regulate that um but if Mm -hmm. you're going into like an actual like restricted fairground like or Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. area yeah they can restrict it there but even still i remember being in the festival and like when the main act came on just like cups of like piss being thrown in the air and stuff like and that's just from like a small like local festival that happened like when you see people throwing cups at festivals like in the air and liquid coming out not all of that's beer like it's gnarly no no why would you tell me that sorry (laughs) Well, I mean, this is why I don't go to festivals, honestly. I was like, and even, well, so like you were saying, so all the, the like organizers were like, oh, the sexual assault, it, we didn't see it. It didn't happen. It was all happening in private. But then there's literally video from the stage of women crowd surfing and getting groped. Yeah. And I'm like, and they're like 15 years old. And I'm like, mm-hmm. how can you say that it was happening in private? I don't think it was happening in private. It was literally happening directly on camera. Yeah. So you, you can't can say that it was... See all of that. Even like... And I understand like a lot of like Woodstock too like had this very like... And they were trying to ride the vibe of like Woodstock 69. And like times had changed. That vibe. And like it was different. Mm-mm. There was a different vibe. And, like, the girls who were, like, getting, like, spray tattoos and stuff, or, like, spray paint and stuff done on their chest, even that Mm. being filmed and, like, put on, like, all of that Mm. is just, like, that's a violate, like, the the guys that were doing it, I was, like, this is a bit Mm -hmm. not okay, like, yeah. Yeah, all of these documentaries, yeah, it's I think they're so important to watch, but you do have to be in the right headspace to watch them. Yeah, oh, for sure. I just, I said to Evan, I was like, like, why are there a certain subsect of men who just think that they can go places, public places, get fucked up, and then destroy anything they want? Just be like, what? where Mob did that come from? mentality of just like, people together. Um, <sighs> I, that's and why- alcohol, drug, fueled situation. Yeah. And yeah. you know, there are many music festivals out there where that is not the case, and you can have genuinely lovely times. Um, but there are some that are like, like I'm not a well, heavy have... metal person. I would love to go to Wacken in Germany at some point, just because it seems Why? so cool. Like <laughs> the stage is incredible. Like the actual, like it's all like farmers' fields that they like o- take over. Like I know somebody who's like really into the music, and she like goes to it, and she has like the best time. And I'm like. I could go there. I could do that. I, I that's not a, s- a section of music that I'm particularly interested in, but yeah. Hmm. 
Well, yeah, we have like here our big one is what used to be called the Craven Country Jamboree, but now it's called Country Thunder. That was on. I know you're on it. Yeah, it was, and it's it to me. I've never been, and I don't have any desire to go because even if you want to go to enjoy the music, like you, like everybody is just getting so fucked up, and it's you're camping, and like either either every year it's pouring or it's like 35 degrees like that week, that weekend that you were here it was literally 35 degrees for the whole entire time that yeah, it was, it was on like and then there was at one point it was ridiculously yeah. warm yeah and there was like thunderstorms and they mm-hmm. had to postpone like the main like he- like headliner until like 11 o'clock or something like that on the sunday night because it was like a tornado warning and yeah. thun- and lightning so it's either like one or the other it's either you're covered in mud for three days or you're covered in sweat for three days it just doesn't seem fun (laughs) and like people have told stories of like just like super drunk people and like like the sexual like it's the same thing sexual assault happens there a lot Mm -hmm. and i don't feel i don't think that's talked about enough because everybody here is like oh craven yeah let's go get fucked up and listen to country music but it's like all of this other really shady shit happens there too yeah and I just can't see it, like, being, I don't know, maybe that's why I don't ever really particularly want to go like, to a festival. Uh, part and parcel with those kinds of events. Um, and yeah. It's horrible that that it exists. Because um, it really de- detracts from, like, the enjoyment of going there and listening to music. And that's the same thing I said to Evan. I was like, it seems like it's always one group of shitty people ruining it for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I mean, fair, like, granted, like, this, this Woodstock 99 one, it was, like, a lot of things culminating into like the end where everything was on fire and stuff like that yeah and them being mistreated and all of that stuff yeah i could kind of get how it devolved into that and i don't think every festival is going to devolve into that yeah but i don't know (laughs) from what i've heard from most festivals even coachella like i don't it doesn't interest me to be out in the baking hot sun there's no artist I, I think that I would go see. Not even Taylor Swift. And you guys know how much I love Taylor mm-hmm. Swift. She was supposed to do like Loverfest. That was like her concert that she was going to do. That was her tour for yeah. Lover. And I don't really know like what it was like going to entail because she wasn't coming anywhere near us. I don't even think she was going to Vancouver when we were there. She That's... ended up canceling it all anyway. Uh, yesterday I was... Like, I see all the time, like, these, like, reels of, like, Harry Styles and doing cool stuff. And <laughs> I was like, Joseph, at some point in my life, I really want to go to a Harry Styles concert. And he was like, I did look up his tour dates, but he's not coming here. And I was like, yeah, I know he's not coming here. Um, not to Canada at all? Or uh, he might go to Toronto, but. Yeah, I bet he would go to Toronto. Um, That's the thing. Like, living in Vancouver, I feel like we, well, you certainly get a lot more concerts than, like, here or like Halifax mm-hmm. but even now I think even BC Place they're not do- like they're not doing anything like nobody's going there anymore yeah he's coming to Toronto actually tomorrow <sighs> and so. Monday and Tuesday August and then he's in New York for a really long time oh that would be incredible mm. Madison Square Garden mm. he's there from August 20th until September 21st a month it's not every like night? that many it's not every night oh okay 15 dates there's gotta be like 
some people who would go see every single one, right? Oh, probably. Which doesn't seem fair. No. But you know, maybe like getting to New York from the East Coast isn't too bad. So, you know, maybe we could figure out a trip sometime to go to New York. That would be incredible. That would be nice. (sighs) Yeah. But anyway. It was very nice, though, that he had looked into it for me. I was like, oh. Yeah. (laughs) I can't imagine how much those tickets would be, though. Oh, yeah. I don't want to know. Too much. Anyway, the documentary that I wanted to talk to tell you about is, um, and I think it's old, but we were recommended it from a friend. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's the, like, OJ Made in America. Oh, yeah. I remember when it, that was coming like, out. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was, like, ESPN or something like that that did it. It's, like, five episodes. Yeah. What? That was twenty. That was tw- in 2016? Yeah. Okay, so we're a little bit late. But anyway, <laughs> it's super good. It's five episodes. But the problem is, is that each episode is, like, an hour and a half long. Uh. So if you do watch it, you might want to split each episode into, like, 45 minutes or whatever. Okay. But it's amazing. It goes basically from, like, his rise all the way up until, like, him being arrested in Vegas. Wow. It goes through all of, like, the race relations and stuff that was happening in Los Angeles at the time. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of fucked because he got away with it because, well, I don't know. I feel like everybody knows he did it at this point. Yeah. But at the time, I guess people didn't have all of the all of the information. And there was like a huge community that was saying like free OJ and he's innocent. Let him go and all this stuff. And like when he was like when he got off, like when he got acquitted, there was like cheers and like people were happy. I was like, what? Did you guys see any of what? And it was like the first, one of the first, I think, televised trials. Yeah. Oh my God, it is really messed up. You should watch it. It's really good. Okay, cool. And I've been thinking about it for a long time because basically when he was first like coming up in his career and there was a lot of stuff happening in LA with, with race, I can't remember what started it, but some newscaster asked him about it and he was like, I don't want to be a part of it he didn't consider himself to be black. So at the beginning, he says, I don't really want to be part of it. Like, I don't have any comments to make, which is like, okay, that's fine. I guess if you don't want to be political, if you don't have that information, that's totally fine. But then when there, when he got arrested, everybody, and like, it was after the Rodney King beating, everybody kind of had that, had the assumption that he was being arrested unjustly, mm-hmm. which is fair because of all the stuff that was going on, I can understand how people would think that. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, he was like, oh, yeah. Like, now, now he was fine with the black community. But before, he didn't want to be associated with it at all. Mm-hmm. And then he, it, like, took advantage of it. That's the most frustrating thing to me. But it's like, and also all of these people they, who he didn't give a shit about, all of a sudden are coming to his defense. And I was just like, how? 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 Yeah. <sighs> it's really good. You should watch it. I highly recommend it. It is long, though. That's like, um, I was just trying to look up the two um, ones that I watched recently, too, on the um, USA Gymnastics scandal. Ooh. So there's Athlete A that was on Netflix and at the, heart of, at the Heart of Gold Inside the USA Gymnastics scandal, which is on HBO Crave. And Mm-mm. out of the two, um, 
if I were to like say what kind of like order to watch it in, I would watch At the Heart of Gold because it kind of gives like more like of a general overview of like the whole scandal. Whereas Athlete A, mm-hmm. I found went more directly in and was speaking more to like the gymnasts and stuff and kind of like peeled away things. I'm glad that I watched for me, Athlete A was a real like super solid documentary and it like. Um, you found out that it was Maggie Nichols who really was like should have been on the Olympic team but because she hit like there had been allegations made against Larry Nassar she like ultimately wasn't put on the team and it's just all these <sighs> like it's really horrible to watch but watching all of these women come forward and at the trial and then be like I'm naming myself. I'm not being a number or a letter anymore. This is who I am. And like coming forward and saying their name, such a powerful, I think more of the like courthouse stuff was in at the heart of um, gold one. But Mm -hmm. Ashley A was really interesting to see. Um, And there's like quite a few like impactful people that are like, like it really was um, this one previous um, gymnast, Rachel Den Hollander that really like, drove to like she was like the main driving force to like get to trial and stuff Mm. and she's like older now she has kids like she was like this has been going they've known about this for years Mm. yeah it was really horrible to watch and then hearing things about like hockey canada and stuff it's just Mm. like how many of these sports things are just covering up huge scandals it's like all of these institutions you look at like the church too like Mm. none of these things like they have this like ultimate greater power but they're using it not for good they're using it to cover up shit like it yeah and they're mm-hmm. yeah and we like I'm glad yeah. that things are being investigated now but why is it taking so long for these things to like, yeah. look at like yeah yeah yep everything sucks <laughs> a very depressing note um <laughs> okay well, but anyway we loved a good documentary yeah oh recommend some to us please um Okay, yeah. on a happier note, I finished romancing Mr. Bridgerton. Ooh, I fucking what do you? Think I of fucking that? love them. I think they replace replace like Anthony and and Kate as my favorite. Oh, and here's yes. why. I think it's because they had a connection like yes, previous like a to friendship the book. connection. Yes, 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 and because because of that, I think that it makes it like more intimate. I don't know if that there's weird, something very but, like, sweet about being friends. And then slowly realizing that, you that you're in love. For each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Pen- Penelope knew that she was in love the whole time. Oh, but yeah. yeah, so I, I don't, yeah. And that whole carriage scene. I told you it was so good. <laughs> perfect. I loved it. It and was then so when great. She, she like falls out the carriage and like all, yeah. oh, love it, love it, love it. <laughs> and then he goes like, well, and it just seemed like they. This like clicks all of a sudden. Yeah. The way that they get together is like, obviously still makes sense in the time period but yeah it was just like yeah i'm an idiot yeah exactly and like it's just like it just happens yeah and it was easy and like oh yeah it was so great but again freaking spoilers because of like so the second epilogue is like them going to eloise's wedding yeah and like apparently yeah Apparently Eloise has been shacking up with some guy this whole time. So is this is this where it starts that at, like the the stories are kind of told concurrently because so Colin, Eloise, and Francesca 
all of their stories happen all at the same time. Okay. But because... yeah, those three, C, E, and F, yeah. all happen at the same time. So, okay. and it's, see at the very end of Benedict's book, because Benedict would have been the one prior to this one, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. So at the end of his book, there's like a ballroom scene and then Eloise kind of like disappears. Yes. No, okay. no, that was it. It was the it was the end of this one. I'm pretty sure because that's <gasps> where they the announce that P- Penelope is Lady Whistledown. Yeah. Okay. So it's the end of this one. But I don't remember her leaving. So, but maybe I just wasn't paying attention to that. Part. I suppose it's not exactly concurrently happening then. So it's like the very end of Collins one is when Eloise's story is kind of start like her story like she has correspondence with her love interest, but she doesn't actually meet him until she disappears at the end of that ball. Oh. That's interesting. Okay. Well, yeah. And also, though, they did mention at some point in this book that Francesca has been widowed. So if you listen to our Is It Good or Was I Horny episode, we did talk about this book. So this is not a spoiler. Don't come after me. Yeah. So. Yeah. So she's widowed. And her story, like, when that's happening, and I I think I, like, explained She's, like, she, like, kind like, is, like, confused by all her feelings. So she Mm -hmm. flees to go to Scotland. And when she's in Scotland, Eloise gets married. Mm, okay. So that's where that kind of... And Eloise getting married. This is a little bit spoilery, but there's a, an amazing scene in her book um, where she basically just, like, fucks off in the middle of the night and, like, goes to this guy's place. And he has two kids. So he's there, like... Oh, this is major spoilery. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> and if you don't mind knowing, I'm just going to tell yeah, you. Yeah, tell me. So, um, Marina... She marries Sir Philip Crane. Remember, she's like in love with this guy, George, and she becomes pregnant in the TV series. Okay, yeah. So in the books, she's not a cousin of the Featheringtons. She's actually a cousin of the Bridgertons. Oh. So Eloise grew up with Marina around in her life. And she was meant to be marrying George, but George died in battle. So she ends up marrying his brother. Yes. Which often did happen. Yeah. So instead of in the TV series, Sir Philip takes on his brother's title and then marries Marina, who's already pregnant. But in the books, he's their biological father. Okay. So they have twins, but then Marina kills herself. What the fuck? Essentially is what happens. Oh my God. Yeah. She like tries to, she tries to drown herself in a lake, but she's unsuccessful because sir philip realizes what's happening pulls her out but she like dies of like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sickness because Mm -hmm. yeah so that happens so eloise writes to him say i'm really like as a like a Mm -hmm. condolence kind of like letter and then ends up just keeping a correspondence with him and he's uh, he's trying to look for a new mother for his children because he's having problems. He's raising twins, and, and he can't he can't do that. He's a man. He can't cope. Yeah. So he's looking for a mother. So he like offhandedly suggests this, but meaning to like arrange for somebody to chaperone her there to see if they would be a good fit. Where she just like goes. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So you can see she leaves a letter for her family to find, but they like free yeah and eventually they find out where she is so then all of her brothers show up leading to one of the funniest scenes in that book okay (laughs) where like three of them have sir philip pinned up against the wall um my colin is on his honeymoon at the time so like this is where like he's like i just left my newlywed wife to come and deal with this 
so I'm pissed. Like, but then Antony and Eloise have like this really nice heart to heart. But because of all of this, she has to marry. Oh uh, yeah, um, of course. So yeah. Oh yeah. well, I can't wait. So that's the basis of the next book. It's so, uh, yeah. it's on. It's a relatively short one. Out of the the other ones, I think it's a little bit shorter okay. than the other ones. Yeah, but it's really sweet too. I have it on hold, um, but I don't like it as much. I like I love Colin's book. I think it's hilarious. Him and Penelope's. Yeah, yeah, I was good. I enjoyed it a lot. And like the whole like reveal of like Lady Whistletown and stuff. Yeah, and just that whole like the reveal, the carriage ride to then him coming into the Feather- Featherington house. Just like one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. At first, like, cause um, Penelope's like, "Oh, we can't go in there. It's Tuesday." I was like, "Oh my god, her mom is has been fucking some guy on Tuesday." Like, in the drawing room. I don't know why I would think that, but that's just, like, 100% sure. Like, I was 100% sure that's where this whole thing was going. Oh, my God. And then when the mom, Penelope's mom, was like, oh, he wants to, like, hang out with whatever her her sister's name is. who she Her youngest sister, who's not in the TV show. Yeah, Yeah, who's, like, trying to get, like, she's trying to marry off. And I was just like, come on! It's Penelope! It's obviously Penelope! Yeah. It's because, like, earlier in the book, her mom says something about them always, like being together forever or something like, oh yeah 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 well uh, yeah. i think she has like a heart-to-heart moment at the end where she's like i always just thought that we would be companions yeah um, and penelope's like fuck that yeah well i don't know i don't know if she's as terrible in the books as she is in the show but she's pretty terrible i feel like she's like yeah. just gave up on penelope and was like yeah you're never gonna get married yeah. when she's 28 like oh i know oh the hardship <sighs> yeah. of getting married when you're 28 yeah well that was that's everything for me Do you yeah. have anything uh no, I just finished reading our like next read along book, and I love it all over again. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, it's so good. I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait to start it. Which is Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, and it really we'll announce it at the end. Yeah, we'll talk about it at the end. Okay, so the theme that we have for this episode is books we should have read in school. <laughs> So we picked books that we kind of like later, I suppose, like since leaving school, we're like, this is a book that we probably should have read in school. And there's many of them like that. I'm like, isn't this a book I should have read in school? Like, well, I feel like it's okay. Did you actually? And there's a few of them out there. Like there's a couple different plays. Like I always felt that I should have read Macbeth. Um, So that was a part of your curriculum. You didn't read Macbeth. Did you read Romeo and Juliet? I read Romeo and Juliet twice on Julius Caesar. Oh. But I did Romeo and Juliet in two different schools. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. And then I did Julius Caesar at one point hmm. as well. Because I actually think I did Julius Caesar before I did Romeo and Juliet. Um, really? Yeah. We did Romeo and Juliet in grade nine, and then grade 10, I'm pretty sure, was Macbeth. Maybe that was grade 11. Maybe we didn't do any Shakespeare in grade 10. But then I think in grade 12, we did Hamlet. So I did a few. I did a few. Yeah. I was going to say also, like, at the time, the advice that I had gotten, I wanted to go to med school. Um, hmm. The advice that I had gotten at the time was to do a bunch of sciences, but I didn't necessarily need English mm. at a like, higher mm-hmm. education level. Mm-hmm. So I scrapped that. And they were like, as long as you have a writing, a course that you've done a lot of writing in. So I did history because I was like, I'm far more interested in history. So I ditched English as soon as, as, soon as I could. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah then when i came to canada they were like oh you don't have grade 11 or grade 12 english you have to do both so that kind of stuff yeah but i had friends who did Macbeth. um Mm -hmm. but i kind of know the gist of the story yeah oh i think yeah hamlet is just lion the lion king yeah um okay but is there any books that you were supposed to read that you were like assigned to read in class that you didn't read so (laughs) great yes i don't feel so bad then 
No, they're... Well, not, like, so much in Scotland, because, like, I definitely did those ones, but, like... I, I don't even know if actually high school. Mine's was in university. I just, like, sometimes fluff my way through. I did take a really cool um, course. Um, it was, like, pop culture, English language course. And there was, like, different segments. We did a segment on, like, detective novels, romance novels, hmm. horror novels. Oh, my God, that's like, fun. Yeah, it was really cool. So there was, like, five sections, I think. And you had to do, out of the different sections, you had to t- take one of the pieces of writing from each one. And I think you could scrap one of them, um, too, entirely. Um, but one of them you had to do, like, the big novel in. So when it came to romance, I thought I was going to read beauty and the beast for it and there was like a couple other ones that you could do but i ended up running out of time at the time with just like other things in different courses so i ended up not doing the novel for that one and i think the detective one was the se- the segment i just straight up scrapped mm. um but like the horror one i think it was edgar edgar Allan poe that i did oh, yeah. for mm-hmm. um a short story um yes yeah, so i don't really remember what when I did but it was really really cool the way the course was set out and I really did enjoy it and then because you have to take certain language credits just to get a degree mm-hmm. um and another one of my courses too and it, it varies from university too because when I was at one university I only had to take one credit and then when I went to a different one I had to have two language credits so that's why I did this pop culture one because it just like substituted in but usually you can just do like a one-year basic English like 101 Mm -hmm. and that'll sort you out so when I did that one yeah there was somebody I knew in the course because like the big one again you could like pick and choose which of the things you wanted to do your big essay on you had like out with the different segments and one of them we had a choice on was oh god waiting for Godot which is a play Mm. and I just did not understand it it's a very random play and I hated it so I was just like I'm not doing that so I did my essay on Frankenstein and have you ever read Frankenstein no I've never really been that into horror I actually really enjoyed Frankenstein and I'm not a horror person at all so the way that the book is framed there's like these different viewpoints so you start off on a boat I think so there's like the viewpoint and that's how like the prologue opens and then it then goes to like Dr. Frankenstein. They're telling a story about Dr. Frankenstein. So then the book starts and then there's a segment where it goes to Frankenstein monster. So like these all like viewpoints take you through and then it like the book almost does the opposite where it goes from Frankenstein's monster to Dr. Frankenstein again to then the epilogue is back on this boat again. So it like bookends the thing. So there's like these three different viewpoints and the essay title, like topic that we were given was like, describe how the viewpoints take you through the story. And I like wrote it as like, well, this like bookends, like it it very methodically takes you through that. (laughs) Wrote this wonderful paper on it. Well, I was very proud of the paper. I don't know if it was honestly wonderful, but I did quite well on the course. To then speak to a friend of mine at the time who did the novel as well. And I was like, yeah, it was really interesting, like, framing it like that with, like, the prologue and the epilogue also, like, bookending and having that, like, other viewpoints. So there's, like, the three viewpoints that you see throughout the novel. And he was like, three? There was only two. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, the prologue and the epilogue. And he was like, oh, I didn't read those. What? He didn't read them, so he missed out an entire viewpoint and wrote a whole essay on just Dr. Frankenstein and the monster um and missed out the third one entirely i'm not really like trying to mock this person yeah i just it was such a cool 
novel um so I suppose there maybe aren't ones that I really I just picked and choosed which was kind of nice that like I didn't really but there must have been something that I just like straight up didn't read and just oh wait I know exactly same course um oh god the heart of darkness by joseph conrad oh my god um yeah i went into the exam like an hour before going into the exam and i was reading the coles notes (laughs) and cliff notes on on that i had not a clue and i wrote a like a short answer question on that based purely on what i read like half an hour before going in for that exam because you still passed i bet i then like i i can't remember if i like had seen something and all of a sudden it was like i had thought i was all prepared for the exam but then it was like if you want to write the essay question for the exam there was like two short answers and then an essay question mm-hmm. and your essay question couldn't be what you did your paper on and I don't think you could do your paper on the, the short answer ones either so like I was one short so that's why all of a sudden I was just like I'm gonna read the synopsis yeah, of yeah. In the Heart of Darkness um but still I must have done fine because I I am pretty sure I got like an A in the class but I've never been more stressed in my life than like skimming through that. And that was my first year of university. And oh my God. And I think looking back now, I then found out there's a policy. If you had a certain amount of exams within a certain amount of time, you could ask them for one of them to be pushed back. Mm. And I definitely had that my first year, first term of university during the exam period, I had they were all way more exams than I should have had in like a 24 hour period. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, the things you learn. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm pretty sure, like, there was a couple books that I definitely skimmed in high school. And I think one of them was The Plague by uh, Albert Camus. I think it's what his name is. And it was, like, existentialism. And I was, like, existentialism. And I was like, yeah, I am fucking 17 years old. And no. <laughs> yeah. No. And there was also, like, I think Things Fall Apart by and i i know what the person's name is but i will butcher it it's it it was an african author and it was about like christian missionaries like coming into africa and like changing their entire way of life basically i'm pretty sure his name is chinua achibi i have no idea if i'm saying that right but again i skimmed that one because so depressing why are you making me read this i was so upset and then in um university I took uh I'm pretty sure it was a Shakespeare English class but that's also when I started I did like half a term no I did did the full term but I did a term where I was only taking like three classes or something with the university and that's when I started taking my fashion courses so I was taking like nine courses at a time and also I had three jobs so I was like I did not do very well how old were you I was 19 yeah you can do shit like that when you're 19 it's the logic of 19 year olds i don't know and like yeah because i was still not sure if i wanted to keep going with university because i was taking a friggin costume design course like fucking come on but anyway (laughs) anyway the fashion thing never ended up working out for me anyway so it was all a waste of money but anyway that's besides the point i took this shakespeare english class which i was like because you know how 19 year olds are like i'm so academic and smart that i'm gonna take a shakespeare course it was probably like a bit too like advanced for me but it uh, i don't know and the teacher was kind of an asshole she was like i wrote my first essay and she was like do you even know how to write an essay and i was like this is how i've been writing essays the entire time and nobody else has had a problem with it so i don't know what your problem is but anyway 
I ended up reading, like, we were supposed to read The Merchant of Venice or something, and I read something completely wrong. And, like, every time we were supposed to have read the play, she would come in and do, like, a pop quiz or whatever. And I literally just, like, wrote on on all of the answers. I was like, I'm sorry, I read the wrong play, so I don't know any of these answers. I did really bad in that course. I still passed, but I did not do very good. Yeah. <sighs> Stressful. <laughs> yeah. And you're going back. Are you so excited? So excited. <laughs> Uh, at least I- I'm going for elementary education, so I don't think I'll have to read anything that's like super intense, which would be nice. Hopefully, you'll only be there for like two years, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully, this your school experience will be better than everything you've ever done before. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but yeah, that's our um theme. Theme. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, in honor of going back to school. In honor of going back to school. We might be a bit early, but I feel like a lot of pe- kids in the States go back this early for some reason. What's the date today? Kids in Scotland will be going back either this week, like this week probably. Ugh, that sucks. Yeah, it's usually like, I remember like the 17th, 18th of August being like, mm. usually when you went back to school. Well, but usually I think they go back on Wednesday. Um, mm. Like normally... I feel like I remember when I was like a young like young elementary school we would go back like it wouldn't be until after the long weekend in September but I feel like the yeah. older I got the more the further they kept pushing it so like I don't know probably by the 25th or 26th people will be going back to school here what of September or <laughs> no or... August sorry oh, okay August yeah I think it depends because sometimes I remember like having like two days of school but i i have a feeling in nova scotia it's like just after thanksgiving or not thanksgiving <laughs> labor day so we have that like monday holiday well i know for a fact this year it's monday holiday and then kids you are going go to school on back. the tuesday because i'm going to be in their classroom oh um, yeah and okay on the tuesday for the first day mm-hmm. of being there. um but i sometimes feel that it's not always full days oh yeah that they mm. put them in for maybe not in elementary school i feel like it was always full days but high school sometimes it would be like they would stagger so yeah. like well maybe not really it was just like the grade nines would start at like 8 or eight thirty or whatever the normal time was and then the older grades would start later because then it gives the the new kids like enough time because like here we don't have middle school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our like elementary school goes from K to eight and then nine to 12 is high school. K to eight is <laughs> a real big age group to have um, all in together. I, I never really thought about it when I was yeah. like, in school and like we had separate. In pl- BC it's K to six, seven. seven. Mm. Yeah. Like, and we had separate playgrounds. So, like, there, one side of the school, well, and we all, I also went to a very small school. I went to a school that was right down the street from my house. It was literally a five minute walk, and it was just a tiny little school tucked away in the middle of my neighborhood, basically. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so the like one to fa- four, I think, was one side of the school, and the like four to eight was on the other. So, we never really interacted mm-hmm. with the small kids. Once Which you got I, older, I suppose I was gonna say the in the primary school I went to in the UK, um, there was the little kid playground and the big kid playground. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Um, exactly what it, it was, was like. one. Well, there would have been nursery and then primary one to three were in one playground and then four to seven in a different playground. But the nursery kids were never out the same as one to three. Mm. Um, they were always they had their own times for being in the playground. Mm-hmm. They were never out at the same time as one to three, and that's a smaller playground too. So having three year groups in that playground was quite enough. 
and then the other kids was 12 uh, not 12 uh four to seven and it was quite a big bigger playground yeah um i think having that is very good too yeah um because if you think the bigger kids like if you run into a smaller kid like, yeah you're you're toast yeah yeah okay well i'm going first right yep okay so my choice for the theme of back to school books you should have read in school is pride and prejudice by jane austen yay and it was public it was published in 1813 and also can i just i'm i know i realize this is a podcast but just look at how pretty it is it's so pretty and so pretty. nikki posted a picture on our um instagram page of her book too yeah and now i have um so this um printing is by paper mill press which i tried to find them on instagram it doesn't look like they have an instagram but like so nice and i've only found them at like time i don't think they have them at chapters but i've never looked no i think it's just independent places i've ever found them <clears throat> yeah exactly so um this one was actually from uh it was from the fireside place right mm-hmm. i think so fireside books in parksville on vancouver island but i also got another one from I got Jane Eyre. It's also really pretty. It's like white with purple. Um, I got that one from the Penny University in Regina. So if you're in Regina, you should give them a look because there's some really nice classics in there. They have some really good stuff in there. Yeah, it's a really cute little bookstore. Yeah. Um, Okay, yeah. So I couldn't find like any... So this book doesn't have a summary. This this printing doesn't have a summary. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't really find a summary that I was happy with online so i'm just gonna tell you and i'm sure this is okay this is published in 1813 so at this point if you don't know what happens in pride and prejudice i'm not sorry about spoiling anything okay yep. and i know kirsty is very familiar you've read it right or you haven't read okay, it. okay so <laughs> for the longest time i thought that i'd full-on read pride and prejudice and had no issue like i was like i've read the book i know all about it it's great um, and when I read it, I think I was like 15 or 16, but it was one of those moments where I was like, I need to read more serious things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next, yeah. I, I can even roughly remember the trip that me and my friends took through to Aberdeen. We went to Waterstones on Union Street. I picked up a copy of Pride and Prejudice and it's like a penguin one. It's not one of the penguin classics with like the orange stripes mm. on it. It's like a different kind of one. It's pink all over it and it has this uh, three of the sisters like looking at a book <laughs> maybe it's just two of the sisters I don't know um looking at the book but very kind of like classic-y looking book so it wasn't until we were discussing what books we were going to do for this episode that um mm-hmm. yeah I'm pretty sure it was like right before we recorded or right after we recorded recorded a couple episodes ago <laughs> I looked at it and it said abridged version <laughs> and I was like what I was like, I had no idea that I had read the abridged version. And I think as like a 15, 16 year old, however old I was, I probably just didn't know what that meant. Yeah. So it was like, oh, this is like, like you would want it to be abridged rather than unabridged. Yeah. Um, But not really knowing what that meant. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I read the shortened version of Pride and Prejudice. And okay. here's me thinking that I'd always read it, but it's still quite an intense book. Like it's still <sighs> written in a language that like, it's not. Mm-hmm like our like today's normal written language so it is harder to follow and I think at the same time I all um I also had watched because I I started struggling with it and a little bit and I think it was just because there was too many different characters and I couldn't quite oh. straighten them out yeah and that's where like it took me so long to watch Game of Thrones because I couldn't figure out the characters yeah 
But once I then like did research and kind of figured it out, and my research for this was watching the <laughs> 2004, I think it is. Um, is it that early? It was like 2006. The one with Kira Knightley? The Kira Knightley version of Pride yeah. and Prejudice. With, I think it's um, somewhere around there, yeah. Matthew McFadden. Mid-2000s, I watched that version of it. And I loved it. And that made me finish reading the books. I was like, this is phenomenal. I, and I got the DVD from my cousin. Because like my cousin Morvan had watched this. I, I don't know why she... Because she's 10 years younger than me. I don't know why she was enthralled with this. Um, but I remember like borrowing the DVD from her and my aunt being like, are you going to give that back? And I was kind of hoping that they would forget. Um, so I could just keep it. Cause like, it would be one of those ones where I'd like for a long time, I'd watch it like every night as I went to bed. Yeah. Um, and was just obsessed with yeah. this movie. Yeah. Um, I now have a copy, I think like on, um, what you call it? Google. I think I had it on my Apple account for years because mm-hmm. before I knew you could get movies on Google or probably before you could get movies on Google I owned it on Apple so like I can watch it whenever I want but I think right now it is on Netflix because I watched I it last so. weekend when I was trying to pack um yeah. in preparation for like the fact <laughs> that you were gonna read it um so yeah Okay, I'm a well, bit sad now that I, I do want to read the unabridged version because I feel like I've probably missed out on some bits. But also at the same time, I've read a lot to do with Pride and Prejudice. I've, I can say that I haven't seen the like five hour Colin Firth one that came out oh. in the 90s. So it was like a series? Or is the movie? Yeah, it was That's a BBC series. Okay. No, it's a BBC series. I did at one point rent the DVDs from my local library in Scotland like the town library I did rent it from there once but in all honesty I was meant to be studying for exams and I kind of did fall off the radar with watching it because I knew some people who were like the Colin first one is it like and that's Mm. who their people are for me my Mr. Darcy is Matthew McFadden I love the Keira Knightley version and I will stand my ground on it (laughs) um Joseph however prefers the Colin first one Mm. um I've yet to watch the full thing mainly because it bored me Mm. and I feel like watching five hours of Pride and Prejudice would be boring yeah um but I have like I started listening to the audiobook at some point too but I'll need to check if the audiobook's abridged or not now I've like got this like fear (laughs) um okay well honestly like I go into it well I'll I'll just talk about it now yeah I think mm -hmm. that reading the abridged version might have helped yeah not that I didn't enjoy it I actually think I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to but I was like I I don't understand why we're talking about this right now like there's so much of that in the book that it's like this doesn't feel like it matters and there's so much traveling between different like manners and whatever and I'm just like I was like it took me a long time I was reading this up till this morning and I never do that with with our books so that I'm usually must be... the one that's like, we need to postpone two hours yeah. because I haven't finished yet. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, oh my god. It took me a long time to get through it. And I didn't think it would because actually at the beginning, like the chapters were fairly short, so I felt like I was getting through it. But then like there's that whole part in the middle where I'm just like, oh my god, there's just like nothing happening. And yeah. so I think like maybe reading the abridged version might have helped <laughs> because there's so much I feel like that you could cut out. Because I, I even, I think I wrote down in my notes, I was like, Literally, the entire story happens in the first 50 pages and in the last 50 pages. So, like, all that shit in the middle, I don't understand what that was there for. Yeah. So, I wonder if, like, reading the abridged version would have helped, 
like keep me interested a bit more. So anyway, yeah, I literally couldn't find a concise summary of this goddamn book. So basically, <laughs> the Bennets have five da- daughters in 1800s England. Oof. And yeah. so their property is going to go to the next male heir, who is some cousin from somewhere. I don't I don't really know how they're related. It sounds like it was like like a second cousin twice removed or something like that. Or maybe it was a full Sorry, cousin. Who were you asking about? Mr. Collins. Oh, yeah. He's like a distant cousin. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's like the next male heir. Yeah. So this property is going to go to them, to him instead of the girls because they're women. And their like family is going to be poor if like when their dad dies, if they can't marry well. So this guy named Mr. Bingley comes to town and he's super rich. And Mrs. Bennett is like, hell yeah, I'm going to marry one of my daughters to him because I don't want to be destitute after my husband dies. Turns out Mr. Bingley has a friend named Mr. Darcy, who's kind of a dick, or at least he's kind of quiet. So everyone thinks he's a dick. Everyone thinks he has really bad manners. That's like, that's the only thing that I could think of that he did wrong. I was like, I don't understand why all these people hate this guy so much other than the fact that he's just standing there not talking to anybody, which is like me at every party. So I guess I would be a dick. Darcy? Mr. Darcy. I think he just gives off this air of being kind of like aloof from everybody else. Too good Um, for everybody? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, Okay. He has too much pride. Yeah. That's where the pride comes in. But I guess maybe it's just because I didn't really understand what, because yeah, pride to me is being boastful and I didn't feel like he was being boastful. Everything they no. were like, n- nothing that they found out about him was coming from him directly. So I was like, I don't understand how he's being prideful, but maybe I just don't understand the like definition of pride. But also at the same time, it's kind of like how we have these notions and yet we're not like actually um, those things. Like, yeah. Um, yeah well, that's sorry. the whole point of the, that's the whole theme of yeah. the book <laughs> is don't judge a book literally the entire like this entire thing could be summed up by don't judge a book by its cover when i read that on the wikipedia page it was like the main theme is like not which is hilarious because you bought your copy because of the cover so pretty yeah (laughs) (laughs) um that is funny um yeah so on in the wikipedia like the main theme is that like elizabeth learns because wickham who she was like talking to for a bit she thought that he was so cool and nice and good and hot he ends up being kind of a snake which he like and he also has a bunch of debts all over town and all over everywhere he goes he's kind of a shitty guy even though he can talk a fast game don't you think that this is just like the basic first um like rom-com enemies to lovers it's the first it's the first enemies to lovers yeah, yeah. i did think like, that yes. straight up like um where you think that this other guy is way better for her, but he turns out to be a dick. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. And <laughs> she right. should end up with this person. Yeah. yeah. The, it's yeah. also, do you know, Bridget Jones's diary is like entirely based off of this. Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Okay, let me think. I did watch it, but it was a long time ago. Okay, yeah, I can kind of see even that. And Colin Firth is in it and plays yeah. Darcy. And his last name, I'm pretty sure, is Darcy. Okay, um, yeah. It's entirely, um, yeah. You know, I was thinking while I was reading this, I was like, we should, one of our themes should be, like, uh, adaptations of classic novels. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I didn't really have one in mind, but I was like, I'm sure I could find one. We can find them out. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, this Mr. Bingley guy comes to town. Mrs. Bennett's like, fuck yeah. I'm going to marry one of my daughters. 
they're gonna be rich i'm gonna be saved in my old age uh so so jane who's the oldest daughter is super into mr bingley she's like this guy's hella hot and he's hella rich and i won't have to like become poor after my dad dies and but turns out mr bingley has some super cranky sisters and also mr darcy doesn't think she's a good match which i guess you don't really find this out until the very end of the book but this is why it takes them like fucking a year to get together yep which was so annoying to me it's because slow burner oh my god like the slowest burn because for one thing it takes them fucking a week to get anywhere and a week for a letter to get anywhere but mr darcy basically says to mr bingley he's like yo i don't think this bitch is in love with you so you should just give up and he's like yeah sure even though he's like in love with her <sighs> whatever mr bingley i feel like you could have fought a little harder for her but and also her sisters oh my his sisters are huge bitches like oh yeah they're so rude <sighs> anyway yep so they don't get it takes them forever to get together Elizabeth, who's the second daughter, fucking hates Mr. Darcy. She thinks he has no manners. And uh, like we talked about, he's too prideful. Everybody thinks he's too prideful. But then some shit goes down in their family. And Mr. Darcy basically saves the day. And she's like, okay, cool. We're in love now. And we're going to get married. Yeah. That's pretty much the whole premise of the book. And... Though in the middle, he proposes to her. Yeah, okay. So he proposes to her. And she's like, what the fuck? No. And then... And, th- <laughs> and then exact quote and then then all the shit goes down and then she realizes oh also she writes a letter to him no he writes a letter to her basically and like telling everything. everything about mr wickham because she was like in love with mr wickham and she was gonna like probably marry him and then he sent this letter that was like I fucked up your sister's marriage because I didn't think you your family was good enough for my best friend. And also, P.S., the guy that you're in love with is a fucker and you shouldn't get married to him and you should have nothing to do with him. But then he her- tried to run off with my ba- baby sister. Yeah, and also he... Wait, what? His, ba- his baby sister. Right, we're right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but then he runs off with her baby sister... Which I don't remember any of this happening in the movie. Maybe I just wasn't oh, yeah, paying attention to the movie. I need to watch the movie again, I think. I think I might yeah. might understand his, it a bit better now. His like letter happens in like a weird montage thing. Mm. She's like staring either at like a mirror or something, but you see her and she's just like staring. And it's one of those ones where like the day passes oh yeah as, sure, like classic. behind her so it like gets dark and then the room like you can see that the fire is going and he comes in and then like places a letter and then like leaves and then you hear his voice and then all of a sudden because it's at the time where she he like just proposed to her and yeah she's staying at um her friend and collins's like little cottage um yeah yeah that all happens in the book she's yeah. staying there and that's where he like gives the letter to her and then, like, he, like, voices over, um, like, the letter, kind of, saying that, like, um, he explains why he doesn't, like, favor Wickham in any regard, that he, like, tried to run off with his sister and, like, seduced her. That's all explained in the letter. Uh, like, all explained, like, as a voiceover. Um, okay, I feel like that doesn't happen in the book. I don't think he tries to run off with his sister. I think he just steals, like, he tries to get money from his dad's estate. And they he doesn't want to give him his dad's estate. Well, I that is rem- part of it, too, but I... I don't remember it happening that. in the book, 
but maybe I, I Pride and Prejudice um, Wikipedia open right now. There's like f- I fully like the run on sentences. I I think you were talking about the run on sentences in uh, the sun the, also rises. The sun also rises. Like I swear a, to God, a of a comma or a period. Like, I would black out. Stop. I would black yeah. out for a full five to ten pages, and like when I came back to consciousness, there would be still nothing have happened. Yeah. So that there it fully might have happened, and I just didn't understand that that's what was happening. Yeah. Or I, but I thought that the main thing was that he was like really bad with money and really like irresponsible, basically. Um. Okay. Just give me one second. Um. Who's the sister again? Georgiana. Darcy. Yeah. Darcy's sister is Georgiana, yeah. 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 Wickham quickly squandered the money and tried to elope with Darcy's 15-year-old sister Mm. for her considerable dowry. Okay. I must have missed that. Anyway, so basically- her dowry was 30,000 pounds. Wow. Shit. Basically, Mr. Darcy- So, this guy, Wickham, who is such a shit, he elopes with her sister, her youngest sister, Elizabeth's younger sister. Mm Mm-hmm. And he goes, and I'm not entirely sure how this happened, but pa- apparently he, like, pays a bunch of his debts and, like, gets them married mm-hmm. because she has been, like, with him for a week without any chaperones or anything like that, and that's a problem. So they get married, um, and then after he, like, helps helps her family out, basically from being ruined, she's like, yeah, I'm down to clown, let's do it. I'm ready. And that's it! That's it. That's the whole story. And I find it funny that, like, Elizabeth and Darcy are supposed to be the main characters, but it's, like, barely about them. Yeah. I mean, it is in the end. Obviously, they get married. And, like, he he's kind of the main character because he, like, does all the shit behind the scenes to, like, save their family from ruin. Yeah. But, like, they're, like, and they met, like, four times. They I met four times. I think it's mainly because it follows her more directly because it doesn't follow like yeah. um her yeah. sister when she goes off with aunt and uncle for a little while like it obviously just like follows just her story um, yeah but there is a lot of other stuff that happens a lot of other um, stuff yeah. and and you know this is like set around the same time that bridgerton is yeah so that's how i kind of got into it at first i was like if you kind of think of it like bridgerton it's kind of easier to read yeah but yeah so they meet like four times I guess that there's like sometimes where like when he she when she was staying with uh at Netherfield while Jane was sick there, I guess they probably would have like hung out more. But like yeah. they've had like they had like four meaningful interactions and he's like I I'm in love with you. Yeah. And, like, and this is supposed dances. to be the best love story? Like this is supposed to be yeah. one of the best love stories of all time? Oh. <laughs> I yep. still really like it. Um just I was like looking at like a diagram showing the relationships. I for some reason didn't really realize that like um Colonel Fitzwilliam is also like related to like Oh yeah. They're cousins Darcy or something. and Anna de Berg. Yeah, like they're all related through Lady Catherine. Or oh Anne yeah. De Berg. yeah. Yeah. Which means that's kind of weird because Anne de Berg and Fitzwilliam Darcy were intended for each other and their cousins. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's not surprising. But that's, like, part and parcel for the time, I suppose. Yeah. But, um... Yeah. Okay, also, before I go any further, uh, we follow these... Um, it's a, an Instagram account, but it's also a podcast. It's called Pod and Prejudice. I don't know <laughs> if you've gone on our Instagram account and seen any of their posts, but they have some fucking awesome 
Pride and Prejudice means. I'm pretty sure I wanted to read this just so that I could understand them. Yeah. So I'm going to, once we post this episode, I'm going to like share some to our stories because they're so funny. Yeah. And I think, so I've never listened to the podcast, but I think with the premise of their podcast is one of, one of the girls is like super into Jane Austen and has read like yeah. all of her books and one of them mm-hmm. hasn't read any of them. So they like do okay. kind of like a read and then they do like, they watch the shows like nice. the like TV adaptations. So I think I'm going to start listening to the podcast, at least the Pride and Prejudice mm-hmm. ones, because I think they also have done Sense and Sensibility. And I'm not sure. But now I'm going to have to listen because now I've read the book and I can understand it. But some of the memes are so funny. <laughs> you should check them out. Um, um, sorry, I was like looking through the Wikipedia page just as you were going over like your summary. Just because yeah. I was like, there are other adaptations and I want to get the dates right. So like... Um, there's been like several tv adaptations and several film ones um so the kira knightley one's 2005 so i was completely wrong in the date um because i said 2004 and 2006 so 2005 (laughs) um and hers was an oscar nominated performance um Mm. and matthew mcfadden he's also um in succession now Mm. um He's very good in succession. Um, and then there's the BBC, two notable TV versions included two by the BBC, 1980 version and then 95 version, which is like the super the popular Firth. one. Yeah. yeah. And then there's also been, which in all honesty is one of my favorite movies. And I like forgot that it existed. It's, and like to think, I'm not a person who I think like particularly would say I love Bollywood or anything. Bride and Prejudice. If you want to watch a fucking fantastic film, watch Bride and Prejudice. It's a 2004 Bollywood romantic drama film. It's great. So hmm. good. Um, follow it, or do they like change anything about it? Does it follow uh, the story pretty closely? It follows the story pretty close. And like, um, Darcy is played by like a British white guy or. Is he oh British? Oh no, he's American. Oh, and like the girl who would be like um, the equivalent of Elizabeth. Um, she's uh, Indian, and I fucking love this movie, <laughs> and I forgot it existed, and I'm just yeah, um, so excited. I want to because I feel like the guy who okay. Um, did you ever watch Grey's Anatomy at all? Mm-hmm. So the guy who plays Nathan Riggs, Doctor Nathan Riggs. His name's Martin Henderson. He's a New Zealand actor. He's in Virgin River, the Mm-mm. TV show. My mom has recommended that to me, but I haven't started it yet. <coughs> I can't think of it. Uh, um, it says he was Noah Clay in The Ring, if you've seen The Ring. The Ring. The movie? Yeah, like the like horror The horror film. movie? Yeah. I've seen it, but a long time ago, and okay. I wasn't really anyway, paying attention to the actors. This guy is like Darcy in it. So he's kind of nice to look at. <laughs> I like forgot that this movie existed. I- I'm going to have to watch it. Um... <laughs> I remember loving it. And so I pl- suppose I think this would have been the first time I ever saw any adaptation of Pride and Prejudice would have been the Bollywood version. <laughs> um, which I'm not going to lie, pretty fucking great. Okay. Um, I'll have to take a look. And I think in honesty, I'm just going to double check um, if um, it might have also been from the same director as Bend It Like Beckham. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've it is. That. So Bend It Like Beckham came out in 2002 and then Bride and Prejudice came out in 2004. Um, Interesting. Yeah. 
also Keira Knightley. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have to check it out. What? Yeah, okay. So, I I did really... I think I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. I thought it was pretty funny, actually, at the beginning. I'm not sure. So, I did try to read this when I was in high school, but I don't know. It just it was not permeating into my brain at the time. And it is, like, it is hard to read. Like, it's hard to get through just because yeah. of the way it, they speak. And, like, and I the feel way like a written. lot of things like that, when you read like Shakespeare, because of a lot of it's in plays, it's very much for spoken words. So you can kind of figure things out because you're speaking it. Whereas yeah. this, it's a novel, so you're not sitting there reading it aloud as much. But often that's how I find that if I'm not really understanding what's being said, if I say it aloud, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe listening to it would help too, but... Um, yeah, so I'm not really sure why after all these years it finally started clicking with me, but I did, like, enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But even, like like I said, I like I swear to God, I would black out for, like, five to ten pages and come yeah. back to consciousness and still nothing would have happened. But anyway, I guess that's just kind of the the nature of, of classic novels. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we talked about that already. <laughs> I did say that maybe because I said how like I'm pretty sure the first 50 pages and the last 50 pages is all like the entire story could have been told. Yeah. And I was like, maybe they just needed to take up Jane Austen just needed to take up more space and more time because they had nothing else to do because they were all sitting around leading life, lives of luxury. But also at the same time, she um, she wrote under a pseudonym Mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't really become that famous until after she was dead, which is how it always happens. Oh, yeah. And it was quite a while after she was dead, too. Yeah, like, tw- uh, I think I read, well, maybe it was like 50 years or something. Can't remember. But yeah, it was like quite a long time after after yeah. she died. Yeah, after she died that she started becoming famous. Mm-hmm. Um, also, this book is so savage. Like, were people this honest with each other? Actually, back in the in, in that time? Because like, they are just like spitting fire at each other. Like, the Bingley sisters were straight up to Jane and Elizabeth. We were like, we don't like you and we think you're ugly and stupid. And I'm like, what? Sisters? I thought there was just one Bingley. She like she has a different last name because she's married, but she's his sister. I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So there's like a Mrs. Hurst and then Miss Bingley. Mm-hmm. But they're both his sisters. It's, I understand. I like some of it is just thoughts, but like I, I thought I was judgmental. Jesus Christ. Some of the shit that like happens in Elizabeth's head, and like so, what 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 did I have? Like they say some pretty offensive things to people's mm-hmm. faces. Mrs. Bennett basically is like "fuck you, Elizabeth." Like I, I I she literally says I think I can't remember if this was a thought or if she says it to her face. She's like I like you the least of my children. Yeah. I don't think you could say that. <laughs> I don't think you could say that about one of your children. And she basically was like I don't give a shit about you. Because Jane is going to be marrying a rich man, and that's all I, I that's all I care about. Yeah, Mrs. Bennet is really a piece of work. But then yeah. also, Mrs. Bennet, both Mister and Mrs. Bennet, I think talk about how they think all of their children are stupid, and like especially yeah, Lydia and Lydia and Kitty, they're like these kids. Like I don't even know what we're going to do with them. They're so dumb. I don't even know if they're ever going to get smart. And they also talk about how I think I'm pretty sure Mister Bennet at, at some point says. I, like, talked to my wife, like, two times before we got married, and I don't wish to speak to her ever again. Like, like he's basically calling his wife out and saying he has no affection for her anymore. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ! Is that how people, like, 
talked back then? Did you? They just give zero shits for other people's feelings? Probably. That makes sense. Also, at the same time, you have to think, like, Jane Austen wrote this, like, and was also, like, poking fun at society, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just straight I, got, up. I got that. <laughs> it seemed like that. So I guess maybe that's what made it seem like it was, like, super harsh. Yeah. I think I, I did, uh, at a certain point, be like, this has got to be, like, her shitting on how society is. Mm-hmm. And also, I just think every character is basically an asshole, except for Jane... Maybe Mr. Bennett, he can kind of be an asshole still because he literally said that all of his daughters are stupid. And mm-hmm. I don't think Bigley is, is that big of an asshole because I don't think he really, you don't really get any of his thoughts or anything in the book. And he seems like he's pretty chill. But like Elizabeth is an asshole to Mr. Darcy. Like he just doesn't like, he yeah. just like follows. Um... Yeah. Elizabeth is an asshole to Mr. Darcy. Mr. Darcy is an asshole to everybody, it sounds like. Mrs. Mm-hmm. Bennett is definitely an asshole because she like doesn't care about any of her daughters. She's she just wants to marry rich. Lydia is the biggest asshole of them all. She gets married and she's just like, yeah, I'm married now. So I'm more important than you, Jane. You're going to have to sit like at the kid's table, whatever. And I'm just like this bitch, like she did not. And I mean, fair enough. They do say in the book that she is acting like a huge asshole. Yeah. Mr. Wickham's an asshole. The Bing- Miss- the Bingley sisters are assholes. Like, Catherine de Berg, she's an asshole. Mr. Collins, he's an asshole. Everybody's an asshole at some point or other in this book. Yep. I don't know. I find the I, f- I found all the characters very hard to like. Yeah, there's certain ones that I just have problems. And Elizabeth with. is supposed to be like the best character. And even uh, at one point, I read somewhere that Jane Austen thought that Elizabeth was like her most perfect angel baby character. And I. I was like, okay, I guess. I guess she's kind of cool. Like, if you think about the fact that she was a woman back then who wasn't afraid to speak her mind, that's, like, yeah, that's pretty rare back then, I suppose. Yeah. Okay, and also in my last thing, my my copy, they had some super weird spelling, and I'm not sure if it's just this printing, but they, like, spelled surprise with a Z, and they spelled chooses with, like, a U. How do they spell chooses? Like, C-H-U-S-E-S. So just not, I wasn't sure if that's like how it would have been spelled back then. Apparently it's chooses. Um, it's an archaic spelling of choose. Okay. Surprise. Nothing's coming up about that, but it might just be like a spelling thing at the time. Because often like some of the like places or streets would just be like blanked out. Let me see if I can find one. Because it was like the the town that they live in, it would just be like the blank shire. That's kind of weird. I can understand, like, um, and, them like, keeping, there like... There was a few of them, and I was like, I don't understand why they would blank it out. Like, I don't have... Let me see if I can show it to you. Yeah, because there's, like, some place names. Like, they have, like, Hertfordshire and, like, Derbyshire or whatever. But then there's, like, when they're talking specifically about their town, it's, like, blank... It's, like, a dash. Let me just look Shire. up. Um... And for a long time, I was like, I don't... I just thought, I have no, like, I don't even know. I was like, what, I don't know why they would do that or what it's supposed to mean. Okay, so, um, there was a convention in those days of, uh, this is according to some random blog, um, there was a convention in those days of fictionalizing people and places, places by that means. Mrs. Blank came to tea yesterday, as an example. Nowadays, okay. truly fictional names are used to avoid libel actions, but in Jane Austen, it is more for the effect of making these sound a bit like diary entry-ish um, and also the save the need of research in like an actual place. 
so like instead of just making up like random shire or like random names they just like blank through Mm. yeah so like you can make it more like personalized i suppose to like whatever you want but like there are certain places within um pride and prejudice that do exist but then there's other places like pemberley pemberley doesn't exist yeah 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 um in real life like yeah okay so i guess that makes sense but i just like was going through reading thing and i was like i don't i don't know what this means yeah um yeah that's pretty much it so i don't really know who i would recommend this book to i mean everybody should probably read it at some point do you like classics yeah. you should read this book do you like run-on sentences? You should definitely read this book. <laughs> I gave it a four, I think, because it's a classic. And I was scared of, like, the Pride and Prejudice community coming after me if I gave it anything less. Not that I don't. I think it didn't deserve less. I mean, I, I don't think it deserve like, deserved less or anything like that because I did, you know. I'm glad I read it, but I'm also. And now you can say you've read it. Yeah, and too. also I'm happy it's over. <laughs> yeah. I think there's something with classics, too. There's this, like, expectation that we have to read them. Yeah. But I'm also definitely of the frame where, like, like it doesn't matter. Like, any, like, m- more modern book can be, like, a modern classic. So, like, it really depends. And it's better to delve into a taste and get you to actually read something that you're interested in rather than, like, catering to what people think you should Trying to slog through some book that, like, does isn't even really that relevant anymore. Well, I think it's still relevant. But yeah, I think a lot of the books that they force kids to read in school now maybe aren't super relevant anymore especially like think about how much society and everything has changed since Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of we evolve all the time yeah so there's a lot of themes that still make sense but yeah i don't know i think i probably would read it again maybe i would probably the abridged version Mm -hmm. see if it's see if it's any better but i think it would have been easy honestly i probably should have read it in school because it would have been easier to read to have a teacher be like this is what this means and this is what you're supposed to be taking from it so yeah there you go. But I read Pride and Prejudice. I didn't hate it. <laughs> there you go. Yay. Yay. And actually now I think I want to watch the movie because I think I might be able to like understand it a bit better now. Maybe I'll yeah. maybe I'll love the movie now because I did watch the we movie watch it. and I was like, I don't really know what's happening and I'm not interested at all. Yeah. And I think for me, it was like trying to use the movie so I could understand it better. So, yeah. um, and the same with like other things like Lord of the Rings is a really challenging movie to just watch when you're your own when you have nobody to ask questions to yeah so that's for sure um same with like pride and prejudice like it can be confusing when you don't remember who all the people are yeah there is quite a lot of characters actually Mm -hmm. i tried to read sense and sensibility once and that's why i couldn't get through it because i couldn't figure out who was who Mm. i've seen the movie but i still don't remember who people were Mm. so um yeah yeah i also the copy that i have of it is like a weird feeling copy (laughs) so i don't like holding the book either oh so that's just like a well that's textile situation yeah okay so (laughs) my book that i did is animal farm by george orwell oh just the most lovely feel good opposite (laughs) of your book the most feel good book of whenever it was written (laughs) um actually when was it written i actually did read this one in school i read this in grade 11 i want to say and i feel like i feel like it's very typical high school its main themes were probably lost on me as a teenager because i probably could not possibly comprehend what they were trying to say (laughs) so it was published in 1945 oh earlier than i thought interesting yeah um was it his 
first. Let me just look at George Orwell for a second. We basically did it because it was an allegory. That's why we were studying it. Yeah. And it's, um, when you look at the thing, it's, um, it's a beast fable in form of a satirical allegory novella. Um, <laughs> and actually, have you seen that? I f- well, maybe you sent it to me, actually. Have you seen that tweet, I think it is, where the girl is like, I told, I went on a first date and I told this guy that I was reading Animal Farm and he laughed at her and said she shouldn't be reading kids books. Did you, have you seen that? It's like, I've seen it a few no. times around the internet, all around the internet now, but it's, <laughs> she's like, Ugh. I wonder, I, sometimes I think about him and wonder if he's still stupid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm just going to take the like, um, little description that Goodreads has for it. Okay. But then I'm going to read some cliff notes on it because how I came to read Animal Farm, I haven't reread it for this book because I started packing up books in our apartment and I can't find it. It's somewhere in our apartment. Well, it's only like um, how many pages? It's not that big. It's not that hard to that forget. Big. No. Like on Goodreads, apparently it's 141 pages. Oh. Um, yeah. Or this particular version of it is. And um, yeah, I read it. I think I tried to read it at one point, but I like there's like a preface and an introduction that people had written, and I was like, it was taking me forever to get through those. So I was like, like, and then okay, so me and Joseph started our apartment book club in the pandemic, where we were like, we need to do things to fill our days, and I've spoken about this before because he killed it with giving me like a really <laughs> long historical novel um but this was the first book so i gave him graham norton's holding and um, which we spoke about in the last episode and i he he told me to read animal farm and i very distinctly remember when i got to the end i was laying in bed and was like <gasps> and he was like oh no <laughs> he knew exactly what point i'd gotten to yeah like yeah was not good yeah and i can't remember i i think i may have flung this book too mm, um sure. which is only like two books i've ever flung yeah and um, this one and normal people mm-hmm. and this was one of them yeah um sure. okay so I the goodreads it. thing for animal farm a farm is taken over by its overworked mistreated animals with flaming idealism and stirring slogans they set out to create a paradise of progress justice and equality Thus, a stage is set for one of the most telling satirical fables ever penned. A razor-edged fairy tale for grown-ups that records the evolution from revolution against tyranny to a total... Uh, total... Oh, totalitarian... Oh my god! Oh my god! What is this? <laughs> Totalitarianism. Oh boy. Just as terrible. Jesus. Um... <laughs> When Animal Farm was first published, Stalinist Russia was seen as its target. Today, it is devastatingly clear that wherever and whenever freedom is attacked, under whatever banner, the cutting clarity and savage comedy of George Orwell's masterpiece have a meaning and message still ferociously fresh. So, yes, to all of that. (laughs) And it kind of took me by surprise, because I don't really, like, I knew kind of, like, the premise of, like, there was animals that, like, kind of like uprose there was some sort of rebellion and they were named after different people but i didn't really didn't know much about animal farm Mm -hmm. and i knew it was one of those ones that like you were meant to have read Mm -hmm. and then when it started getting into it i was like whoa this is like real like just straight up like clean bashing of the russian revolution yeah and communism um and 
I think that like it's a very interesting portrait of that because like as much as they're good and everything I think that communism does have certain points that are worth noting on but just the way that things were handled within Russia just maybe weren't yeah so the critique I think fits that perfectly um I it's just such a good book I just get so annoyed when um oh Christ his name has escaped me who are we talking about the author no no boxer oh oh when boxer gets sent to become glue was the moment where (sighs) i was saying where i started gasping and i can't gasp again so i started coughing um (laughs) yeah that was the point where i was like Mm -hmm. and i'd already when like snowball gets like disappeared there's like i'm like there's issues here yeah and i can see totally where like um like it's following the russian revolution of 1917 i studied that in school so it was very interesting to see like how that like unfolded yeah um in this like satirical play with animal or satirical novel with animals and i yeah and there was so much potential for this to be like an incredibly equal and positive society mm-hmm. if they'd actually stuck to with what the original plan yeah and what it was meant to be to start with yeah all of that would have been fucking incredible and i remember at the beginning i was like this is fucking great <laughs> like they've decided to rule themselves over the farm give food to equally to people and i loved all of that the beginning was absolutely incredible. I was like, this is fucking great. I yeah. love that they overthrow Jones and it becomes Animal Farm, not the Manor Farm anymore. Oh, that's fucking great. And I, as I was like rereading, because I reread like a summary on Cole's notes and I will give, or Cliff's notes, I will give a huge shout out to Cliff's notes today because I couldn't find their book to reread it. So I reread <laughs> in true like high school times by the cliff note <laughs> yeah um, this is our back to school episode everybody yep stay in school and <laughs> and just like the fact that like in society and like as i said in the description like there's so many like parallels to like today mm. where like there's huge like the power hungry pig napoleon becomes a totalitarian dictator I fucking nailed it there yeah um mm-hmm. who leads the animal farm yeah and it's the slogan that comes out at the very end with like all animals are equal but some are more equal than others yeah i don't think that that can ever not be a huge symbol for a society like there are always people that are more equal than others and i don't think we will ever achieve pure equality i just don't think that that's like ever achievable but the fact that like and like as a woman i definitely know that things are not equal in so many regards but i do have a lot of privilege and the fact that i'm white i'm english speaking all of that is like privilege that i'm created more equal with other people and i'm more equal than others Mm -hmm. other things that you can have like like a and i just think that it's such an interesting parallel to like use all of these things within like how our society is framed today um yeah so reading this in the pandemic was a bit of like a holy shit moment because like there was a lot of stuff going on at the time where we were not being controlled i don't think we were meant to be staying inside all that stuff like that's not what i'm alluding this to i'm meaning more like with donald trump being in power in the states and just like seeing somebody with total disregard 
to like for human the life general populace yeah but like or general population but like though like the inner circle having like way more power and like that's still present like we can't deny that and in most countries that's still the situation like the one percent exists well yeah i mean i just feel like like i don't know maybe this is taking it to a way deeper place than we want to go on this podcast but like like democracy feels like nothing anymore and like i feel like when you're a kid you're you're like we're taught that like oh you have to vote like voting is important because well and i think the states learned the lesson the hard way that like voting is important but like yeah. It's so hard to feel like doing, getting involved in politics or, or anything like that is doing anything. Like, it just feels like yeah. there's no way that you can possibly beat all of these people who are lining the pockets of politicians with like millions and millions of dollars to get them to do what they want. It's like my my needs and my like what I need to live are not being represented at all it's just Mm -hmm. all of these higher up people who have the money and power to decide how it's going to be and it it doesn't seem like and after the pandemic i know a lot of people felt the same way it was that like oh maybe things will be different now and i think with all of the going back to work people like like their bosses basically saying if you don't come back into work even though it's been proven that like half the office like jobs can be done from home it's like you you'll be fired if you don't go back to work it's like how can we just forget all of the stuff that has happened to us as a society for the last two years and everybody's just wants to go back to normal and it's like why what was it that great and i'm just i'm kind of sitting here like how can i fix like how can i start to fix things it feels like i have no power at all and i don't know like what what i can do as a citizen to like make my life and other people's lives better yeah I don't know. that was and a it's tangent such a demoralizing Sorry. and like you feel powerless yeah exactly and so when i read this i also because I, I didn't fully realize like who i knew that there it was like set where like animals were like certain like figures like mm-hmm. napoleon's meant to be a version of stalin snowball leon trotsky like yeah. um but for some reason i thought hitler was in this for some reason <laughs> So the whole time, up until a certain, like, the first, like, few chapters that I read, I was like, who's Hitler? I'm so confused. Because um, for some reason, I thought, like, Hitler was the main one. And I could not figure it out for the life of me. So oh that's where, God. like, sometimes your wires get crossed. And you yeah. think of this, like, very particular classic book is meant to be this very particular way. And it mm-hmm. really is not. Oh, for sure. Um, so, like, I had to, like, realign what i thought this was all about very quickly when i read it the first time um because i was very confused um and i think i might have even said to joseph i was like is this got anything to do with like this and he was like what no i was like oh all right so did joseph Um, like give you any sort of like background on this or he was just like here's this book about animals who take over a farm take from that um, what you will I don't really know. I know that he wanted me to read it, and we spoke about it afterwards. Can I remember what we spoke about? No. Um, because we were going to have, like, a discussion about why I picked Holding for him and why he picked Animal Farm for me. Yeah, but, sure. Um, and we did have that discussion, but it's so long ago now, I don't really remember what we talked about. Yeah. Um, because as much as 2020 feels like yesterday, it also was two years ago. So... Yeah, it also feels like 100 I, years ago. Yeah. So... I don't remember, but um, I do think it's 
really cool how there was the parallel to like the early years of the Soviet Union and like that certain people like um like old major could potentially be like either Karl Marx or um Vladimir Lenin um and all of those things like and even the fact that like the horse boxer can stand for the um plotet- proletariat or working mm-hmm. class mm-hmm. i think it's just such a like when you think about that and like discussing this with high school kids mm-hmm. wouldn't that just like fuck with your head a little bit mm-hmm. like the fact that they're straight up are just like yep you can't do your job well anymore so by you're being made into glue yeah yeah and the fact that they're like actually so everyone else is gonna believe that's not happening we're gonna tell them that he died peacefully at the vet yeah like it just shows you like (sighs) and if you lap it up you're believing in that in those lies that you're being told and i'm not saying we need to all tomorrow revolt against everything but Mm. part of me a little bit is yeah (laughs) um like we are being fed lies do you think that the government is not like doing things in accordance with what is going to benefit those who are going to help keep power mm-hmm. and who can help fund those people in power like i just don't see how it's not more blatantly obvious yeah um <sighs> so yeah. speaking of all of that i would like to remain in canada um so don't kick me out please. <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know and i mean like i i know that like canada is certainly not perfect but i think a l- it's a lot well and i don't know maybe i'm just looking at it from like the outside looking in but i think the states is a lot worse than it is here um yes but i would say that i too. mean like think of all of the like like when you were talking when we did the true crime episode of like the murdered and missing indigenous women oh yeah canada is not innocent in any way nah. and I, it really does grind my gears when things happen so what was it um when uh, Roe versus Wade was mm. overturned a couple months ago, mm. that mm, I have problem. Like I do really. I that whole time, I was getting really wound up because all I was seeing was people being like, "Canada's the greatest place ever," and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah. Like the fact that there was something when it was at least like quite a few decades ago, I think in Alberta, where they were like you. <laughs> Um, taking away reproductive rights of people who had disabilities and things. <gasps> yeah, that was in Alberta. I think yeah. it was in Alberta. So they that were was like fucked. straight up sterilizing women. Yep. Um. Mm-hmm. So uh, is nobody remembering that? Yeah. The fact that Prince Edward Island doesn't have easy access to an abortion clinic. Mm-hmm. The abortion clinic in New Brunswick closed down, which was the nearest one for PEI. So if you want to get an abortion on the East Coast, you have to go to Nova Scotia. So that means taking time off work, having other people with you. Um <sighs> like yeah. the access is not there. Yeah. And people are like, we're this great place. And it's like, are you? <laughs> are we? Like there are a lot of things and including in all of that, free healthcare, free universal care, absolutely not. The fact that you have to pay for dental dental work here, mm-hmm. when has your teeth been like separate, separate from your health? Yeah. Please, they're bones mm-hmm. in your body, and we have to pay separately for that. So, there are many things I could go on a huge rant in this, um, <laughs> and I'm not saying this coming from the UK, who their public health system is better than here, but it's also 
not great. Not without results. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the fact that they have at times tried to get rid of it within the past few years, people are fucking bonkers if they think that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, and then when I, I've seen things where like people like are interviewing people on the street and they're saying, you know, like if you need an ambulance, you have to pay for that. And that's the same here. Like if you like don't have health coverage in your province and you go to another province, like you can get dinged charges. I remember um, I had to go to a hospital in PEI once just because I get allergic reactions to certain bug bites and I had to go to the hospital and I had my Nova Scotia health card and I went to the hospital in PEI and because my card was expired, I'd already applied for my new one, but it hadn't came in the mail yet. So I was completely covered Mm -hmm. by my like provincial health. I had to use an expired health card and they were like, okay, but you are going to get billed and you're going to have to fight it afterwards. I got Mm. it in the mail a bill for like four hundred dollars yeah it was insane yeah and like that wasn't even i had like been driven to the hospital to think if there was like ambulance charges and stuff like that i'm pretty sure like we were had to take joseph once in an ambulance i'm pretty sure we had to pay like a 100 bucks afterwards like it wasn't at the time but we were billed later yeah like that's not universal health care no like um yeah Anyway, I'm just saying, Canada's no saint. Most nations are no saints no. in any of this. Like, no. Yeah. Everything sucks. <laughs> Everything does suck. But there are also, like, glimmers of hope. And Animal Farm is not one of those glimmers of hope. <laughs> I'm gonna say that. Like, especially at the very end, when it rounds it up with just, like... Oh, yeah. Um, it's it's a, I don't fully remember the ending, but it's not great. Yeah. So I'll read the very last, like, little thing from... Um, from Cole's notes. Um, Years pass and Animal Farm expands its boundaries after Napoleon purchases two fields from another neighbouring farmer, Pilkington. Life for all the animals, except the pigs, is harsh. Eventually, the pigs begin walking on their hind legs and take on many other qualities of their former human oppressors. The seven commandments are reduced to a single law. All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. The novel ends with Pilkington sharing drinks with the pigs in Jones's house. Napoleon changes the name of the farm back to Manor Farm and quarrels with Pilkington during a card game in which both of them are trying to play the Ace of Spades. As other <laughs> animals watch the scene from outside the window, they cannot tell the pigs from the humans. Oh, yeah, yep, yeah, that's it. I remember that. Yep, 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 yep. And I think that's where I, like, just, like, could not... I remember just sitting there and being like, <laughs> what the fuck? What did I just finish reading? Like, and it, as much as it is like a satirical allegory, and like I'll say this again, for like the Soviet Union and communism, yes, I can understand that. It is a very hilarious, especially it came out in 1945, like immediately after the um, Second World War finished. Like the fact that it, straight up knew these things that had only happened like a couple decades before straight up is very observing and very critical of something and, and stalin was like still in still power in at power. that time mm-hmm. and uh, that's very um bold to be mm-hmm. putting that out there mm-hmm. um the fact that it's so relevant you still like 
half a century on, yeah. over half a century on, is terrifying. Yep. I find it interesting um, that, like, they changed the name back. I probably didn't pick that yeah. up, but, like, it's like they changed the name back and it's like nothing changed. Nope, nothing And they can't changed. tell the, the pigs from the humans. That's, whew, that'll get you. Yeah. Right, right, right in the... Oh, God, everything sucks. What's the next books? We need to read something happy. <laughs> yeah, I would, so I'll round mine up. I did enjoy it. I would definitely give it, like, a four stars because I thought it was very witty and very smart. It just is, like, kind of devastating. Um, yep. The, like, commentary it gives on life. And I think that, like, books like that, especially coming out at that time, it's just such a brave thing to put out in the world. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's important to critique different society. And by no means do I think capitalism is the way forward for the world. Like, mm. um, God, no. So it's kind of interesting that, like, out of the two that we're given choices from, it's communism or capitalism. Like, which are you going to choose? Like, um, Neither are great. No, but would you want... Because this is not even just, like, a critique of communism. It's, like, where that flips... So it's not even showing you like actually what communism is because the part that is like the true form of communism is the part where everything's equal and people yeah. are doing things for their own strength. And actually the book is really good at that point. It, it's very merry and it's like, oh, this is actually working. Then it flips. And actually that's where it goes into totalitarianism. And yeah, that's not what that is. So like if that's what yeah. they're then saying we should have, I don't want that. And I don't want capitalism. Yeah. So maybe that middle breach of communism is where we need to be. Um, yeah. But there, I do feel that it's... I'd be way too optimistic to think that we could ever achieve that. Mm. Um, I know. Yeah. There's got... Yeah, like you said, there's got to be some kind of middle ground where it's not, like, completely... It's because, like, it, it's always, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Like... Yeah. Uh, like they weren't truly equal because the pigs were like you know skimming from the top and if i think that's eventually going to happen no matter what like people humans are greedy humans are greedy and they're always going to want more from themselves mm -hmm. so i yeah i don't know if it's ever if it's you're right like like you said i don't know if it's realistic to think we could ever like have a society where everyone didn't have to struggle yeah like some people have to struggle and I know I'm probably simplifying it a lot. I'm not, you know, a friggin... I don't have a PhD in sociology or anything like that. Yeah. So take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt. But yeah, there you have it. <laughs> and like, yeah, I'm no expert either. So, but that's just my two cents on that. But yeah. Yeah. So I would give this... And I, I do think teaching it in schools is a, like a wise choice, but also... It definitely mm -hmm. has to be the upper levels of school because I think if you teach oh, it definitely. any younger than that, um, it's way too freaky. Like I, even yeah. like high school, I think for me is kind of pushing it. Um, I do think it's very good, but you have to be very sensitive of how you teach it. Um, and this is where high school yeah. teachers like that's what they do. They teach hard things to teenagers. Um, yeah. But yeah, I well, should have asked. Yeah. Um, I know a high school English teacher. He oh, is a high school English teacher. We should have asked him for his opinion. You should. Next one. You should yeah. ask. And then we can talk about it on the next episode. But um, yeah, my teacher who taught it to me, it was like such a chill dude. And also I was in like a, I don't, so I don't know if they would have taught it in like 
the regular high school class, but I was in like a the IB, like international baccalaureate class. Mm-hmm. And I loved that English teacher. He ended up leaving in our uh, grade 12 year. Shout out to Mr. Dormuth. He was the best. Um, he's the one who taught it. And I, I honestly remember him teaching it strictly as an allegory and like as an example as of an allegory. Yeah. So like he taught it as like, this is this. What do you think they're talking about when they're talking about this? Because it's not obviously there. The story is not about pigs and it's not about horses. No. It's about something completely different. So that's how we studied it. And I don't think we really got into the, like, the historical a- aspect of it as much because we did study it in, in English. So we were yeah. t- studying it more as, like, a piece of literature than as, like, a historical document or whatever. Yeah. So, like, that's... But, like, then, still, that, that like, brought it into my my worldview. Like, yeah. that was and I think still like, something... It's so smart because it is such a short book that yeah you can break it down chapter by chapter you can discuss it and really look at something in depth because of the way it's written it's like very Mm -hmm. concise Mm -hmm. um and very sharp so like yeah i think it is an excellent book for schools compared to like so things like i remember julius caesar just being like an absolute like monster of a book to get through um or a play to get through so maybe it wasn't i don't really remember big beth is fairly long too if i remember rightly like um and there's some other books like in novels and stuff that you have to read like that just seems so lengthy and like dense with um language but this didn't seem to have that maybe it's just because it's i suppose like a later classic um yeah yeah it's a bit easier to read in that way and yeah i like i'm pretty sure that's probably the only book that i like that i read in high school that i like fully like read all the way through and like could understand yeah for the most part like i remember reading i think we read to kill a mockingbird in grade nine or ten and i was like okay like i liked the book more or less but i i couldn't understand like what it was trying to teach me yeah and i feel like a lot of books were like that when i was in school i was like okay but like what does this mean and like a lot of the school is like teaching you to figure that out yeah but even pride and prejudice i had to google like what the main themes were supposed to be like what i was supposed to gain from reading this book and like once you like read the analysis on it you're like okay yeah that makes sense but I feel like as like as a teenager even me as a 28 year old woman I was like what what am I supposed to be gaining from this why why has this become a classic after all these years yeah oh (laughs) intense books today intense books uh yeah well you know that's going back to school I suppose yep Yay, so, yay! We did it. We, did we got it. through. Phew! This was a, this was a heavy episode. I feel yeah. like. How long are we sitting at now? Because my timers. Um, two hours and eight minutes. <gasps> Aldi. <laughs> yeah, long. What's wrong? <laughs> Have I been in here for too long? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> um. Okay, guys. So, uh, what's our what's our next read along, Percy? It is Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. And we are, that episode will be airing on September 29th. Calendar right here. Yep, 29th. You're right. Okay, cool. Did that from memory. <laughs> Good job. You're the one who holds this this whole thing together. No, we're both blue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> 
Um, yes. So if you want to uh, talk to us about any of the books we read today or any of the books you've ever read, or if you would like to recommend us some themes or some books, you can email us at dearbearbookclub at gmail.com. You can follow us and message us on Instagram at Dear Bear Book Club. And uh, if you're enjoying what you're hearing and you like listening to us, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you like to listen. Yay. And have a good back to school. I know it can be hard for some people. It's like I was always excited but anxious. So if yeah. you're going back to school, I'm thinking about you. That sucks, yep. bro. But hey, you know, you got to do it. Got to get that education. Yep. Yay. <sighs> okay. <laughs> well, talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>